Crime Talk BK, um, or maybe this week it's going to be Crime Haunting BK. Uh, I'm your host, Joanna Pervich, along with Megan Duffy. Woohoo! Spooky Halloween! Yes, we're doing a Halloween episode today. Uh, politics has been getting us down, um, and we have... Um, well, by the time you hear this, a week until Megan and I's one of our favorite holidays of the year. So uh, this episode, we're going to be covering the Amityville murders. And it is a wild ride. Yeah, it's a little cray. It's a little cray. Um, The only politics we're bringing you this week is an announcement about the Radio Free Brooklyn Wall of Lies. Yes, hit me with it. Okay. Good news. So as... Most of our listeners knew know um, they put it up a couple weeks ago in Bushwick, and it was defaced by vote for Trump and stand back, stand by uh, graffiti. So we at Radio Free Brooklyn and all of our supporters uh, started a fund to relocate the wall, and we are happy. More secure, just not like on the street where any troll or Trumpster can get right. to it. Exactly. So we are happy to announce that it ha- we have found a new location for it. It will open, this is Saturday, it'll open right after our show. Yay! At noon to five, there's a whole ceremony. Twice as fucking big because we got mad. <laughs> yeah. Um, 12 to 5 with special performance by rapper Mills, which I love that name. I don't know who he is, so I'm going to look him up. At 2 p.m. on the northwest corner of Lafayette and Grand Streets in Lower Manhattan. Oh, that's a good location. It's a great location. It's a great location. That's exciting. And also, um, if you've been um, scrolling through Radio Free Brooklyn's Facebook page, there's a few people who've been naysayers who are like, this is all fake, like, Trump always tells the truth, or else God will strike him dead, or whatever. Uh, so, the Wall of Lies comes from a book that I think was published, or at least fact-checked, by the Washington Post. It started Washington- with, I think it started with an article by either the Washington Post or the New York Times, published two full pages of his lies at the time. Yeah, so these reporters are not joking around. This stuff is true, like... 
this has been fact-checked by so many people. And also, like, Radio Free Brooklyn, like, Tom Tenney, he's not one to sensationalize. He's saying this stuff, and Radio Free Brooklyn is saying this stuff because things are that bad. Tom doesn't sensationalize anything (laughs) at all. Not even our show, just so you know. Um. We get an eye roll sometimes. <laughs> we get a lot of eye rolls. We're renegade. We're considered renegades. Um, I'm proud to be associated with this man. He's done great things. They made it twice as big. It used to be, uh, um, now it's 100 feet wide versus 50 feet wide, and it's 10 feet tall. And it will also be accompanied by some Black Lives Matter art. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a whole new. It's a whole new thing because we got mad. And part of me also thinks that, yeah, there are some naysayers, but a lot of it also is, I think it's probably just some bot trolls out there. The yeah, group, not not the graffiti. Trolly. Yeah, like, there's, a, there's some, some of it. Yeah, I'm yeah, it was really like, lo, 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 Reddit, simp, whatever. Yeah, you know. it was a little crazy. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I'd like to say I'm going to leave the show and run off and see it, but um, I will be on vacation, so I might take my first trip into the city since March 6th. God. (laughs) Go see it. Well, um, we will be, we're staying home after our flight, so take a photo and send it to me. (laughs) Well, I'm not sure I'm going to go, but. If you do. Uh, but it sounds like it's going to be really exciting, and there's been so much support for Radio Free Brooklyn through some of the press that we've been getting. And um, I just think it's really cool that the station has been trying to bring awareness to the importance of this election. So. I totally agree. I am uh, 100% behind it, and I'm proud to be associated. Have you? When does early voting start? It starts on Sunday the 24th. Are you going to do early voting? No. I am I am going to do early voting. I will probably do Monday. Mm-hmm. First day sounds like it could be a long line nightmare, which it's also I have to walk to Coney Island to do it, which isn't a big deal. Yeah. Um, but I'm also going to – I'm planning on dropping my mail-in ballot off. I'm not planning on actually staying, but I don't think they discern which line you stay in for yeah. that, if it's that far out. So. So uh, we got back early enough that we will be able to do early voting. I think it's either the second to last or the last day it's available. Mm-hmm. So we'll probably try to do that. And we actually have a location maybe like six blocks from us. And it's only two blocks from our regular voting place anyway. So it worked out kind of well for us. That's, that's nice. Yeah, it is. I mean, I like Bushwick is – a pretty happening neighborhood. <laughs> it's pumping, people. Well, we have a bunch of, like, subway intersections around here, so I think it's, like, a easier. People are like, oh, we'll put one there. So, yeah. Well, I mean, that's, yeah. my Myrtle Wyckoff. That's why mine's at Coney Island, right? It's a much, it's a much more populous neighborhood. Yeah, my, my regular polling place is a uh, retirement tower. Oh, uh, at this end of the beach, and I'm pretty sure that they didn't want to be exposed for that long. Oh, for sure, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, ours is 
in a church. Mm-hmm. Which now that I say that, and I'm like, mm, separation of church and state right there. But mm-hmm. also it's pretty nice that the church will let people vote there. Yeah. This is mine. The new one's in a community center. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so that's it. That's all I wanted to say. The wall lies is going up. Uh, um, fifty minutes from now is the is the uh, opening. Go see Kosha Dills. I don't know. I'm gonna go look him up because gold. I love him. Already. All right. So on to spooky Halloween. The Amityville Horror Murders. Now, I I have to be a little remiss. Um, I got a little busy at the work, the real job this week, and I basically just read and looked at everything that was on Murderpedia. Oh, no, that's fine. Um, I have not done as deep of a dive. I'm working off a lot of my, like, knowledge of the ghosties and the paranormal through Mm -hmm. my job. And, you know, if I'd been thinking further ahead, I would have um, maybe pitched a segment on Amityville. Murder. Oh. Maybe I still will. Maybe you should. Yes. Um, yeah, I don't know. Like, so this was like a weird case for me because I love horror movies, but I've never seen anything about this. I didn't know anything. I didn't even know it took place in New York. Oh, okay. Well, the... The original book that was written about the the demonic possession of the house was actually written as, quote, nonfiction. I know. Which, in my mind, is a little problematic. Um, look, I love a haunted house, and I have no doubt that the house is haunted, but I don't think it was possessed by demons. Yeah. We can get to that later. <laughs> We're going to get way off track. Okay, so. Let's have you introduced our, our cast, a.k.a. Um, Ronald DeFeo. The DeFeo family. <laughs> okay, so there's Ron Sr., Ron Jr., wife Louise, two brothers, two sisters. I will get to their names. They move into this house um, at 155, oh, 112 Ocean Avenue in Amityville, which is. In Long Island, not far from uh, Brooklyn, about an hour and a half drive in Suffolk County. Uh, Ron Sr. is um, one of the, you know, biggie wigs at a local car dealership. Mm -hmm. Louise is a stay-at-home mom. Uh, Ron Jr., who we're just going to call Butch, because that was his name, and to avoid any further confusion... He was 23 at the time and worked at the dealership, but he was, um, let's say, a problem child. Just a little bit. Okay, so uh, he had, well, first of all, let's just say Ron Sr. also was prone to violent outbursts in his family. Yeah, so, this isn't the happiest not the happiest of families. So we'll call some of some of this learned behavior, right? Uh, Ron Jr. worked at the the car dealership with his dad, 23 years old. We're not sure what he did, whether he worked in the garage or... Well, it doesn't really sound like he worked, to be honest. Yeah. 
He would just like regularly just like show up sort of and then leave. And it's like his parents were kind of using it as an excuse to just sort of almost give him an allowance. Well, well, that's after years of escalating violent behavior. So they figured if we just if we give him whatever he wants, then we'll get fewer violent outbursts from him. Because there were there's been there were years building where he was um, threatening his parents with a gun and using heavy drugs like heroin and LSD. And, you know, not to say that that's going to make you violent, but he's already, his environment created the violence in his own brain, in in my personal opinion, based on my short readings. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, if you're not already, if you're not kind of stable then doing drugs is going to, you know. It's going to, yeah, it's going to kind of fuck you up. So um, there's that whole history. So did you did you read the 911 call? No, I didn't. Um, for the, for um, it's, we don't have enough time in our in our show to do that, but I, I highly recommend that you go to murderpedia.org and look up Ron DeFeo Jr. and read the crazy 911 call. It's like, who the fuck is on duty and is everybody asleep? Okay, I'm looking it up now just because I can't help myself. Okay, so scroll midway down the page and you'll read the Yeah. Yeah. And it's it starts out as this is the police, may I help you? And it's not Ron that's calling in, it's his friend. Yeah, his friend has to spell his name like eight times. Has to explain that he's at a house that doesn't have a phone number. Doesn't has to explain that he's an Amityville. Like everything happens like four or five times, and then they finally the police are dispatched. Yeah, I know. So like the the like second to last question the police ask is how many bodies are there, mm-hmm. and the friend's like I think four, and the police is like four, and he goes yeah, and the police is like. All right, stay right there. We're on our way. <laughs> and this is after, like, it looks like several minutes of them trying to spell his name. So, yeah, several minutes of trying to spell his name, asking him what the problem is, where he is, and the phone number to the house. Repeated questions. And you can even hear, like, the panic in this guy's voice as he's trying to, like, spell his name, like, slower and more slower. And then the operator's like, is anybody hurt? And he's like, they're all dead. And they're, the operator's like, so how many people are hurt? It's like, no. <laughs> I know, right? Okay, so the guy that called, his name's Joey Yeswit. Um, he basically becomes irrelevant to the story other than this call. Uh, so well, he was cop- friends with, but, with Butch. Butch. But so, uh, okay, so prior to all of this, Butch had run into a bar at around 6 o'clock p.m. on, hey, let me give you the date. November 13th, 1974. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, he's 23. He also would regularly hang out in this bar. Yeah. Him and his friends hung out at this bar all the time. So Butch runs into this bar around 6 o'clock at night, and he's like, you guys got all my friends. are All my friends are here. Come help me. My parents have been shot. Right? That's So him and his friends go, you know, it's like Dudley Do-Right. 
here we come to save the day. And they drive off to this house at 112 Ocean Avenue. And they go into the house. And um, it was unclear to me who spotted the bodies out of the friends. But um, they all go into the house. Butch runs out of the house and starts hyperventilating. And then, oh my god, my parents are dead. Blah, blah, blah. Um, Joey calls the cops, and then I think maybe a half hour later, they finally show up. Cops go in. They take inventory of the parents. Then they find the two little brothers in one room, also shot mm-hmm. dead. Stairs, and that's when Ron uh, Butch Butch says, "I have two sisters too." So the cops have to go back into the house and find the two sisters also shot while sleeping. Yeah, and the crime scene is weird too, though, because everyone, the whole family, is like laying face down in the bed, and it looks like they were just like asleep and shot. It is just like kind of bizarre you know so, but then also i'm like but come on like the police could have should have searched all those rooms well they did turns out Ron, uh butch is the only one I keep calling him Ron. butch is the only one that has his own room in the house because of his violent tendencies yikes so the parents share one room the sisters share another room the two brothers share a room and ron gets his own room and with his uh, getting his own room he also gets to hide things like his gun obsession. Yeah, okay. Yeah. So he has two long rifles, two Marlin long rifles. And um they're so the cops show up, they're searching the house, taking pictures, removing the bodies, and because Bush seems so distraught on the front lawn, they take him to the neighbor's house where the cops, this is, to, this is 70s, where the cops set up a makeshift field office at the fucking neighbor's house. Could you imagine? <laughs> if the cops showed up at your house and was like, yo, we're taking your house because we need to do this. No, sorry. Not at my house. Thank you. <laughs> no, no, no. There's space in the street. Like, Oh, no. So they go into the neighbor. They're they're questioning Butch at this house, and he's giving him his. You know, I went to the bar and I did the drugs and I, blah blah blah, and I came home and I I was locked out all day. Ask all my friends, um, and I got through a window finally because no one was answering the phone, and I saw my parents dead, and I ran to the bar to get my friends. That was his story. Mm-hmm. That's his basic premise. So, I guess the cops realize that they can't keep, you know, the neighbor's house all night. So, they're like, well, come to come down to the station and we'll take a formal statement and whatever. In the meantime, while they're transporting Butch to the police station, one of the police officers searching the house goes into Butch's room, which is, like, one of the last places they look because... Of course, he's the one that wasn't home and, quote, unquote, found the bodies. So one of the cops 
decides that the two boxes for the Marlin long rifles might be evidence, might not be. He doesn't know that the family has been shot with those kinds of rifles, right? But he picks them up anyway. Mm -hmm. Takes them off to the police station, which is being questioned. And he's questioned for like five, six hours. Mm -hmm. And just like telling him the story and they're and they're sort of caressing the story out of him with, mm-hmm. with suspicion but you know you're yeah, kind of sympathetic to him yeah i mean he's like you know he's a 23 year old kid in the 70s this is the 70s too like they're, they're not let's just say this is a neighborhood where very little crime happens so yeah. i don't think they were sophisticated off the bat as mm-hmm. as say an NYPD officer would have been. For sure. So they he's like, you know, Butch is exhausted, so they go let him sleep in a cot in, like, a storage room? Yeah. Well, and then also something else that was going on is is that um, one of the things that Butch is saying is, is that um, his family actually has some mob connections to the... Uh, they start with a G. The Gambinos? Is it the Gambino? The Genovese crime. The Genovese. Yeah, he names um, Louis Fabrizi. Is it Fabrizi? Louis Fellini. As he's a mob hitman. And that is okay. one of the things, like, when the police are like, so, did anyone want to kill your family? He's like, well, maybe this guy. And so the police are like, okay, well, you're distraught. We've been questioning you for a while. You're like 23-year-old, exhausted. Maybe the mob's after you. So they let him stay at the police station Mm -hmm. in kind of like a protected custody-esque situation. Sort of. Yeah, it's in a a broom closet or whatever it is on a cot. But it's not like he hasn't been, like, arrested. No. No, because he didn't, you know, his whole family is dead. His house is a crime scene. Like, where else are they going to put him? Yeah. That was mine. Sorry. Um, okay, so this is, and that's all around 2 a.m. So the cop with the boxes for the rifles show up at 2.30 a.m. to the police department, and that ballistics turn in at, like, 4 a.m. Mm-hmm. So they know what kind of guns were used to kill these people. And it turns out they matched the boxes that were found in Butch's bedroom. Whoa. Yeah, not a fucking rocket scientist, this guy. Not a, nope. Okay. Well, at least the police haven't, like, fucked it up. I know. I read so many stories from back in the day when the police are like, and then we got the broom out and cleaned up the murder scene. (laughs) (laughs) Right? And we left the reporters in, see? (laughs) (laughs) No one else could take pictures. So, almighty. So, um, so they go wake him up in the closet, and they're like, "Hey, here's some coffee. Let's have another chat." We've got, you know, we've gone through the crime scene, and we've got more questions. And he's thinking, Butch is thinking, you know, they totally believe me. It's fine. And this is when, um. Detectives Dunn and Rafferty really start to get his story to unravel slowly yeah. and over a long period of time. I think there's more like 
another um, two, three hours. And they're saying, they're talking about the guns and they're saying, you know, your story just doesn't add up, blah, blah, blah. And then they bring out the box, they bring the boxes in and they're like, but this, this is in your room. This is in your, this is in your room, dude. Like all that shit. Also, there were a few cops that had been interviewing Butch's friends, and a couple of them were like, dude was a crazy gun nut. <laughs> and he had a temper. Yeah. And he had actually, um, in one of the previous incidents, he had, when he was working for the car dealership, someone assigned him to bring the daily deposit to the bank. And he prearranged one of his cohorts to, quote, unquote, rob him of these, like, $25,000 in deposits and checks and cash. And then they split the proceeds. Yeah, that came out, too. Yeah. Mm -hmm. He's really proving a case to be quite the little psychopath. Oh, he's just a dipshit. Uh, He's just an arrogant narcissist who thought he could get away with a lot more. Mm -hmm. Um. So, yeah, so they are pressuring him and they're like either, I mean, like you must have done it, right? Like they're, they, uh, they, they must, oh, so no, he's, this is it. He's buying, they're, they're playing in that they're buying the, the mob hit. Mm-hmm. And Lewis, um, the, the mobster uh, and, he, and Bush is like, yeah, it was Lewis, and he's t- like, and I was the only one that survived, and all that stuff. And then they were like, well, you know, he must have made you participate in the in the shootings, you know, like as a if you say it, that's how it goes down, then he must have made you participate. And that's when Butch sort of pauses a little bit. He goes. Yeah, um, could it happen that way? And then Rafferty's like, did it happen that way? And he pauses, and that's when the detectives are like, it didn't fucking happen that way. It was you, right? And that's when Butch comes clean in this interview. He just can't keep it together. Nope. He just says, and this is a quote from this article, it all started so fast once I started, I just couldn't stop. Once you kill two people, you just got to kill all six. Well, I mean, you know. So, he comes to trial almost a year after the murder. Mm-hmm. Murders. And he's up against a very savvy prosecutor, and he gets um, an attorney. The prosecutor's name is Gerald Sullivan, and his attorney's name, I forgot, it's in there somewhere. Uh, uh, William Weber. Sure. Um, huh? What's that? Oh, I think Daniel Schwartz is his lawyer. Expert. The oh, Schwartz is his expert. William Weber is his attorney. But see, this is this is the thing. It doesn't really matter what happens at the trial because basically it comes down to whether Butch is sane or not. Mm-hmm. So it really just relies on the expert. Right? Yeah. And this is, it's a month-long trial. It comes down to the experts. William Weber 
is pleading for the insanity defense because Butch wouldn't go along with anything else. And Sullivan's expert was, turns out, was just more savvy. The defense's expert was like, you know, the bodies are the thing. He wasn't trying to hide anything. The bodies are the example of why he wasn't trying to hide anything, even though he took all the casings and the guns and his bloody clothes from the crime scene, drove into Brooklyn, and dropped it into a sewer drain. Mm-hmm. They were still saying, like, but he wasn't trying to hide the bodies. So that's his explanation of why he's insane. I feel like that's not a very good one. Not a very good explanation. And the prosecution just broke it down. And um, eventually the uh, jury went out for, I think it was two days. Mm-hmm. And it was all... Um, it was all uh, second-degree murder, which I'm surprised at because, like, this sounds like you planned this motherfucking shit. But maybe, maybe they, like they normally do, is they stack charges upon charges, and they couldn't get him for first, but they got him for second. I don't know. The article yeah. doesn't say. I mean, he was convicted um, with, uh, like, six counts. Of second degree murder. So, I mean, yeah, he was given like 25 years. Like, I think it was like per sentence. Yeah. So, I um, mean, that is like a lot of stuff going on. But also, the first time they came back, they were they were split 10 to 2 because they still couldn't figure out whether he was insane or not. And that's what experts fucking do in a trial. Like, that's you know, I deal with experts all the time in a trial, only they're civil, thankfully, and not criminal. So but that's what ex- you can get an expert to say anything on your behalf. It's just how credible the expert is. Yeah, that's the that's the, the base argument. Well, especially in the 70s, like a lot of this stuff was quite new. Like, I don't think that people really understood, well, I'd argue people still don't really understand criminal psychology very well, yeah. you know, but back then, even something like this happening at all was probably so outside of the realm of imagination. Well, that plus Bush was on the stand going, I'm crazy, and he threatened the prosecutor while he was on the stand, and he, said, he basically said, like, if I wasn't, if I wasn't as insane as I was, I'd come down and kill you. That's what he's on the stand. And we're like, so I was reading, and we can't get into this testimony. Read the Murderpedia. It's fascinating. (laughs) I'm reading this going, no sane person or insane person would say that. You're clearly faking it. Yeah. It's like people who are actually having a psychotic break are like, not. (laughs) they can't hold the thread. No, there's no threads to hold. They're floating off in some ethereal realm. <coughs> anyway, so they convicted him. They came back finally. I'm trying no, to move. Oh, I'm just moving through quickly because I wanted to get to the haunting story, which is also good. 
Well, just real quick, there's yep. also something else that I think really shows that he's not crazy. Mm. Uh, which is like the police investigation, they started to think that he drugged his family members and then shot them, mm-hmm. like put them to sleep, you know. And so it's like, okay, I, I, you know, like maybe you are having some sort of psychotic break and it turns violent, which in and of itself is quite rare. And you pull out your gun and you start shooting people that maybe you don't recognize as your family or this or that or, you know. Mm-hmm. But it's like, you know, I mean, someone who's in, like, deep mental distress probably doesn't have the wherewithal to, like, poison them and then position them face down so that you don't see the face because it's going to freak you out if you do. And, you know, I mean, this is just, it's. Like, and, then on t- and then on top of that, leave, go party all day. Tell all your friends, I can't understand why I can't get a hold of my family. And then force your friends into the house with you? Mm-hmm. That's not a psychotic. That's not no. psychotic. And then for him to even try to come up with this um, excuse of, like, this hitman. And, by the way, the hitman wasn't even in New York during that time. I didn't even know if he existed or not. Like, the no, Genevieve's. A real the, guy. Genevieve's- the police called him. They're like, hey, buddy. And he's just like, sorry, I'm, like, not even in the state. Yeah, I know the crime family exists. I didn't, I didn't actually know if that guy is. Also, another note that he's not insane is 17 years later, he tried to get his conviction overturned and blamed it on one of his sisters that he shot. Oh, yeah. Like, yeah. He goes into some weird places. He keeps on trying to, like, like over and over again, like, rewrite, like, what happened mm-hmm. that night. And it is truly bizarre. Yeah, he blamed it on his teenage sister that she was the one shooting everybody. And he, he had to kill her in self-defense. Like, it was hard even keeping track of it. So these are, like, the different versions that I saw. All right. So the police think that Butch did it to collect his dad's life insurance, which I guess. Anyway, there there was never a real, like, he never really gave a reason. Um, no, I mean... I mean he claimed that his sister Dawn killed their father in some sort of fight, and then their like distraught mother killed all of um, the siblings. And then he like came home during all this, and then he shot his mom. Yep. And then he said that he took the the blame for it because he was afraid that any negative story about his mom would drag the Genovese crime family into it. And I'm like, all right, buddy. And yeah. then like a second version where uh, his mom called him and asked him to come home to break up this fight between his sister and their dad. And then I guess he found his sister and his dad dead and then he just killed everybody else. It just, it doesn't make any sense. Like no, it, it makes any sense. He's lying. <laughs> that's not how, that's not how any of this works. It doesn't make any goddamn sense. Yeah. So, I mean, up, up until I think, you know, even five years ago, he was still being like, no, it wasn't me. I, it was all self-defense in some way or another. Yeah. He's up in, I don't know where he is now. He's he's still up there. He's still there. Um, but he was only 23 in 1973. So what do you want? You yeah, know? he's definitely alive. Like, it, that's something else that I think really creeps me out about this is, 
I feel like so many of these stories that we cover, especially on these old crimes, the killers are long dead or like incredibly old, you know, like Charles Manson, I think, died within the past few years. Or Durst. Yeah, but it's like this is actually way closer to us than Uh I had initially thought. I was two years old when this happened. Yikes. Yeah. Mm -mm. Yeah, that's how old I am, people. (laughs) (laughs) I'm old. Um, No, I'm fine. I'm fine with 489. That's cool. Um, So, yeah. He tri- he's tried to appeal uh, um, an enumerated amount of times, and he's never taken uh, the blame for it. He's never taken responsibility for it. He's never getting out. He's dying in there. So, sorry, Butch. You can go fuck yourself. Should we move on to the hauntings, though? Because that happened. This started. Huh? I don't have that much stuff about it. Oh, well, it's right here in the Murderpedia. Okay. Here, do you I- want me to start to just kind of get into? So... I'm just going to take a break. There's like two theories. And one of the theories is like the Amity, it's Amityville Horror is the name of the movie, right? Yep. All right. So Amityville Horror is like telling the story. I believe it's very much like the shining where it's like the house drove him insane and caused all this blah. And then this new family moves in and they're being haunted. Mm -hmm. But it's like, it's like the house. Well, I, I, problematic. 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 But I don't find that to be nearly as interesting as the the murders causing the hauntings. And um, so this is like an so the house is kind of cute. It's beautiful. It's actually beautiful. It's got a boathouse. It's a nice big property. They called it like Hope House or something weird. I was like when I read that I was like it sounds like a rehab center, but um. That's neither here nor there. It's like a really darling property. It's in a very nice neighborhood, nice part of Long Island. Right on a river. So it was empty for a bit over a year. And then you have the Lutz family, Mm -hmm. L-U-T-Z, buy the house at an extreme discount. I think they paid like $80,000. Yes. Honestly... And the real estate agent didn't tell them why. (laughs) They lasted 28 days. Look. I mean, that must be horrible. Like, um, so I work with a lot of people experiencing paranormal activity. And I've talked to people whose houses are haunted and it's miserable. Like, (laughs) Like, I definitely really feel for... The family. Um, now, their house comes across as um, like really. So feel free to take it with a grain of salt. Uh, about what they're claiming happened, and I believe that they wrote a book, and then the book was based off of the movie, and it's just you know like gobs of money, and there's speculation that a lot of this is fabricated. They didn't write the book. A guy named Jay R. Anson wrote the book. Okay. Based on their story. Now, here's the thing about a lot of places are haunted. Not a lot of uh, real estate is under the spell of a demonic possession. 
that's usually in my historical work. That's not how a demonic possession actually fucking works. They don't want the house. They want you, human. They want you. (laughs) So if the house was demonically possessed after these murders, then why isn't anybody in the Lutz family possessed? Well, I mean, there is definitely some stuff going on. Again, I'm taking at face value that all of this is true, which is honestly how I would, how I prefer to take. It is Halloween. Let's take it as true. (laughs) Um, Let me see. So the stepdad said that he um, was, he would be like awakened, like he'd wake up kind of like weirdly. Every morning at 3.15 a.m., which is when the murders were suspected to have happened, um, the family claimed to have smelled um, like strange odors, uh, experienced cold spots in certain parts of the house. This one weirds me out. They say that they saw green slime oozing out of the walls, and I don't know, buddy. I I think that's maybe not. (laughs) I want to you should have left after that and called the hazmat team. Like, come on. You stayed after that? That's a problem. But uh, I will also like to say that the movie is Charles Brolin and Karen, Karen and Allen. And Charles was very hot at the time. I'm just saying. But it's just kind of like crazy. It's like they had a priest come bless the house and the priest heard a voice that screamed, get out. Mm-hmm. And then he just told the Lutzes, he's like, don't sleep in that room, please. Don't call me no more. (laughs) You know, like, as far as, like, possession goes, I mean, they did have some stuff going on. Um, Let me see. uh, Let me see. A garage door would open and close. Um, There's, like, a poltergeist that's knocking knives down in the kitchen, which is not unheard of for poltergeist and also really frightening. Um, They saw a pig-like creature with red eyes staring down at George and his son from a window, which I guess would be the demon. Um, If if you watch the movie, though, each window has a a glowing red eye. And it's very, it's insane. Like, so the house is its own demon. It's very crazy. Very (laughs) And the original construction of the house, so they... So when they were filming the movie, they rebuilt that house to authenticity in New Jersey to film the movie. And it's one of those things where you can't unsee it, right? Like, it, the house looks like it has a face. Yeah. Generally, because of the way the windows are laid out and all that shit. And so, in the movie, like in the book, this is a pig face. Well, it's because there's this little parapet right underneath the two second store windows that are glowing eyes. So it looks like this raging pig demon house. Mm -hmm. Yep. And then the thing that is, I think very freaky is, is that the stepdad, George um, woke up one night to his wife levitating off their beds. And their two sons, Daniel and Christopher, um, were also levitating in their perspective rooms. So, I mean, that definitely gives credence to the demons and there's your possession. You know, it's not just the house. Was the dog levitating? I didn't read anything about that, so I'm guessing no. They had a dog named Shaggy. Did the dog live to the end of the movie? Yes. Hey, there you go. 
Charles Berlin went back into the house to save the fucking dog. God damn it. The dog was part of the family. I'm going to get off this call and watch <laughs> this movie now. It's a, it's a, it, look, for a, for a early 80s horror movie that doesn't have a lot of blood and guts, it's not bad. It will creep you out a little bit. Is it, I'm assuming it's probably less creepy than The Exorcist? Yeah, it's less creepy than The Exorcist because you're not looking at a little girl puking up pea soup. Ooh. And screaming at the priests. Yeah, that was pretty bad. Yeah, it was pretty bad. Pretty I was in PC and um, I was just walking around with my friend, and my friend's like, oh, those are the steps that the priests, blah, 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 and the exorcist. They are yeah. quite deep because he's, he's, he was going to Georgetown, so you're walking around campus. Yes, I was there once a long, many, many, many years ago when my relatives first moved to Alexandria and I'm like let's go to Georgetown and they told me that I was that was it and I was like I must have pictures on these stairs oh my god I know because I'm that I way I think we were a little bit intoxicated and it was at night so I was creeped out and very happy to like not walk around them <laughs> god I love that shit I mean you want to talk about a creepy place Washington DC is a creepy place it has a lot of history I mean we uh I went to college in Annapolis and the like bed and breakfast that we stayed at in downtown Annapolis is known for being like incredibly haunted mm-hmm. because this bride on her wedding day before the ceremony was getting ready, looking outside the window on the top floor, and she saw her fiance cross the street from the state capitol to the um to like the hotel. And yep. he got hit by a carriage and died, and so she jumped out the window and committed suicide. How do I know that story? I know that story from somewhere. I mean, it's relatively... I think it's gets around. It's pretty pop culture, but I know that story from... I've never... Well, that's not true. I have been to Annapolis on a day trip. But so um, Maryland Inn or whatever it's called. But, um, yeah, so we were staying, I think, in that room because... Again, it's like a Airbnb. I mean, it's like a bed and breakfast. There's only like eight rooms, and the uh, person at the at the front desk was like telling me that, and I'm like, okay. And he's like, so if you hear creaking at night, it's just you know the bride going around, and I'm just like, no, it's not. It's the old house. This place has been sitting here since the 1700s. It's because it's about to fall over. It's not because there's some weird bride walking around. I have to say, like, having that view of the window and thinking about that story, I was, like, not about it. <laughs> mm. No, look, I wanted to move to Savannah or New Orleans because of all the creep factor. Like, I want to move there. Like, that's what I want. New Orleans is creepy, too. Oh, it's so good. It's so fucking good. We should that- take a talk BK field trip to the Amityville house. We can, girl. I bet they let you spend the night in it. I don't know who the owners are now, but it's pretty common for stuff like this to, um, for people to, if you pay enough money, they'll let you spend the night in it, you know? Well, it's privately owned. You know, it doesn't matter. Like, the the Villisca Axe Murder House in Iowa has that, and then also the house that was... um, Lizzie Borden's house is up for sale. Huh? Lizzie Borden's house is up for sale. Yeah. And then there's another house in, I think, Rhode Island. 
that there was a movie and it was very haunted and I think that they allow paranormal investigators in there as well. I don't yeah, want to be a paranormal investigator. I just want to go in and like stay the night. If you go, I use the word paranormal investigator loosely. If you go and if you have a phone that is recording and if you pay X amount of money. Yeah, I'll bring my little microphone and look official. Like, <laughs> just walk around with this. Um, we could. We could do that. Oh, my God. I'd be so. Love it. I love scary stuff. I love it, too. Like, I want to go to Salem for Halloween one year. Like, the whole month of October. I'm obsessed with the witch stories right now. I've never been to Salem. Me either. Really? No. Okay, Megan. Well, you know, when COVID stops being a thing that's terrorizing our country, we should go to Salem. We should start a new podcast about haunting places. <laughs> so we could just, like, do it on our own and, you oh, know, don't have a 59-minute constraint. I get kind of, like, giggly. Like, oh, I, love it. I love, I have, like, a pretty high tolerance for how much of a security cat I am. Okay, so, right, I recently started working again with a bunch of ghost people. Mm-hmm. And um, so I'm just, like, researching these ghost stories and, like, talking to investigators. This is so embarrassing. This morning, my closet door popped open and then slammed shut because of air pressure. And I screamed. As I would, too. And Ashton, like, ran into the room. And he's like, oh, my God, Joanna, are you okay? And I'm like, the closet! He's like, ah, what happened? And I'm just like, ah! And he's just like, all right, well, when you have this window open and that door closed, it causes this thing to occur. I know. Shut up. You're taking it away from my experience, Ashton. (laughs) But I was like, (laughs) it, like, freaked me out. I say, I say next fall, because we're way too late in this game, we get on a spooky road trip together. And do, like, a 10-piece series podcast about the spookiest places on the East Coast. Oh, I have a list. Let's do it. (laughs) Oh, my God. That would be so much fun. It would be so much fun. And, I mean, I'm totally down with something like that. I think I have a sabbatical next year, too. Yeah? Yeah. I do not get sabbaticals, but I can definitely... We'll find a sponsor. Jobs. We'll find a sponsor. (laughs) You can work anywhere. We'll find Wi-Fi, and you can work anywhere, and I'll I'll do all the research into wherever we're going and provide snacks and beer. You drink beer. I drink wine. That would be so much fun. Right? You can have, like, a little vlog. Mm-hmm. It would be so much fun. You know what? Some, one thing I've, I really also want to do, maybe we can do, like, a day trip like side quest mm-hmm. is I want to go bigfooting, squatching. It's called squatching. I know. Is it squatching or sasquatching? I think it's called squatching. That's what I've seen. Well, it makes sense. I'll go squatching. Like I don't. Like, I don't, don't know. Make me, just don't make, make me stay in a tent. I don't really want to no, stay no, in a no, tent. No, you just you know find some woods and you just go and see if bigfoot's there and if they'll say hi to you. Bring some plaster for if you find a footprint. But no, like the people, like if you're ever bored and want to spend some time on YouTube, 
Um, the Bigfoot community has some of the most charming outdoor videos I've ever seen. Oh, I know. They're, well, we could, I hear they're up in Maine. Yeah? Maine is beautiful, too. It is beautiful. So we can take, like, a day on our road trip and just, like, hang out in the woods for a while, and then we can hop back into the ghost. We could find a local squatcher to take us along on a tour. You know, some of them do. I wanted to hit one up once. Um, I don't see why not. There's some really cool folks in, um, I think it's, like, the Carolinas. I'm down. Let's, yeah. start, let's just go start a whole new show. Just be like, this is the weird shit we're going to do now. <laughs> anyway, I think that that's about it for um, Crime Talk BK this week. Do you have any last notes? Um, vote. Yeah. Also, try and enjoy Halloween. It's a week from tomorrow on the show. And it's, Halloween's on a Sunday this year. I think that's so cruel that Halloween's on a weekend and everyone will be staying inside. Yeah, so uh, it is my, it is aside from Thanksgiving where I spend it with my family, Halloween, as a personal note, is my absolute favorite holiday. I can't imagine you wouldn't know that by me, about me already. Yeah, I think I guessed that one. <laughs> So I'm not sure what I'm going to do for it. Um, I'm hoping that the neighborhood does a little bit of the trick-or-treating because all the kids out here go to the stores. They don't come to the apartments, right? Although, honestly, I was going to tape a bag of candy to the front of our apartment building. Oh. I'm assuming someone is just going to take the entire sealed bag. Someone will say yeah. But you know what? That person is going to have a great Halloween. Mm-hmm. No. I'm going to just go. that live um, in our building, maybe we can, like, leave a little baggie for them just in front of their apartment. Yeah, I just feel like it's from this apartment. Happy Halloween. Like, yeah. don't Don't just leave it anonymously because. Well, it's going to be very sealed. <laughs> <laughs> I know, but they're still going to want to know where it came from yeah. to some degree. I might just go sit on the boardwalk and, and see what's happening. That would be fun. And bring my wine. Yeah. All right. All right. Well, I know this isn't as spooky Halloween-y as you wanted, but, um, you know, strange times create strange brews. So, sure. Thank you for listening. Go see the wall. <laughs> Bye. Bye.